were speaking to Steve Hewlett earlier this morning about racing and he let us know that broke late last week. Hugh Bowman's going to be staying in Hong Kong now to the end of the racing season. I wonder if he's moved in with Leo Schlink. Oh, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Leo, do you have a, uh, a roommate there who uh, doesn't eat much but is a very good jockey? And doesn't take up much room. <laughs> That's right. Um, Leo, good morning. Moved, yeah, good morning. If, if Hughie's moved into my place, he's, he's taken a downgrade. That's for sure. <laughs> I think he's doing pretty well. Um, a double for him at the weekend, and um, yeah, he's flying here, and um, he's got the support of um, all the trainers in Hong Kong. And uh, you just see with his strike rate, uh, he's just uh, excelling and bringing all that experience to town. And um, yeah, he's hugely popular and, and really effective. And signing on to the end of the season is uh, a boost, not just for Hong Kong racing, um, but I think for Australian racing and another great Australian uh, jockey on the world stage. Uh, Leo, there was uh, some uh, comments made by Shane Dye back here in Australia just recently, and he said that um, he thought James McDonald would obviously make it in Hong Kong. He thought Jamie Carr would as well, as would Hugh Bowman, but uh, the others would all struggle. He said they would get lost over there. Do you know what he was sort of uh, getting at? It takes a lot uh, to adjust, and um, basically the jockeys have to ch uh, chase their own rides here, create their own... Um, relationships and connections with trainers and that can be sometimes difficult and then if you factor in the owners and their preferences um you know a jockey can ride almost a perfect race here and um just get beaten and uh, you know, there might have been something very small early in the race that impacted that and if uh, an owner decides that um, he wants um, zach Purton or vincent ho or sylvester de souza and that jockey comes off, or well, that's just the way it plays out. And um, it happens just about every week. Um, and that's probably the most challenging thing. Um, and there's no such thing really as a stable jockey. There are de facto relationships in that sense where trainers have their own preferences and they get their way, they can keep those jockeys, but it's extremely challenging. And Blake Shin was one jockey who really struggled with it mm. until uh, he rode the winner, I think it was the, uh, the Classic Cup. Um, that was a breakthrough for him and it really set him alight and that was probably the, the, the most disappointing thing or the most surprising thing about uh, Blake's decision to go home and that was, you know, I have to factor in the COVID situation, but he took a long time to adjust, but when he did, he excelled um, and uh, he'll be coming back again soon on a flying visit to ride for Casper Found. So obviously um, the hardest part is just creating those relationships. Mm. Leo, one of our listeners earlier this morning asked the question, what do they get paid, jockeys, over in Hong Kong? We know here in Australia that, yeah, they're $200 or just over $200 a ride and you get a percentage of your winnings. What's the uh, what's the financial reward in Hong Kong? It depends on the... Um, well, it's very lucrative, especially for someone like Zach Purton, who going into the last meeting, um, he'd won over $126 million Hong Kong for the season from 340-odd rides, so... Divide 126 million by five, um, but it's not really that exact because there's it's 10 percent or, or thereabouts for a, a winning ride, and then it drops um, into the minor placing. So there's a sliding scale. But um, if you uh, sorry, if you worked across about five percent across the whole thing, um, you would get to where he's at. Um, so in Australian dollars. Yeah, it's it's obviously very very healthy. It's in the millions already Australian dollars this season, and um, it's a very re rewarding place. And winning owners are known to be extremely generous with the, the way they look after jockeys, with dinners and things like that to celebrate. 
And Leo, is it difficult? I mean, do you have to get sort of licensed or get the consent of the governing body over there if you're a jockey to come in? I mean, you just can't fly in and out uh, if you create a relationship. Are they stringent on who they allow to ride? Yeah, so they can, um, they, they issue, yeah, very much so. They have to pass all kind of tests. And um, so there's a, a group of retained jockeys for the full season or for stints now that Hugh's been extended. Um, and there's about, I'd say, a dozen of those. Mm. And then there's uh, freelance jockeys. And then there's a, uh, Angus Chung is an apprentice. Um, so uh, for visiting jockeys to come in, they have to be approved before they can come in. Um, so... Yeah, it's very, very strictly controlled. And that's why um, if you can be successful in Hong Kong uh, with the rewards of the low tax rate, it's highly prized. And probably the, the biggest challenge over the past three years was COVID, um, attracting people to come to Hong Kong and keeping them. And now that uh, the restrictions have eased, uh, you're seeing a lot more jockeys like Jamie Carr flying in uh, for flying visits. Um, Ryan Moore came in, James McDonald. There'll be more and more of that happening now. Leo, we asked Steve the question this morning. He wasn't 100% sure how it plays out now. Are these guys allowed to come back to Australia for a ride on a Saturday if it's a big Group 1 race? They are. They, they have to get approval from the club, uh, the Hong Kong Jockey Club, before they can uh, go out and take these rides. You might remember a couple of years ago, there was a storm uh, where some jockeys were delayed getting back to Hong Kong. That had a negative impact on turnover. Um, and so that was um, something that was drawn into sharp focus. And I think Joe Marrera might have had a fall um, at, a, at a carnival and missed a meeting as a result. Um, I mean, those are things that are contingencies you can never, never sort of really expect, but they do occur. So uh, now they have to get permission in advance. That um, So, for example, uh, jockeys going back down to ride in the Golden Slipper, those types of things. Zach Purton, he wanted to ride at the Spring Carnival last year if there was a horse that came up for him, that the horse didn't come up. Um, so it does happen and it will happen in the future. And Leo, you mentioned uh, one of the last times uh, we spoke at length about this sort of thing, that it's quite a male-centric uh, scene over there in, in terms of jockeys. I mean, Jamie Carr's success and the success of uh, the lady whose name I just can't remember, Holly, is it? Um, who Holly came Doyle. Up? Yeah, yep. Holly Doyle. I mean, is that likely to change thing or remain male-dominated, do you think? I think um, it will... If they get the right jockey, um, and if it's Jamie Carr or, or Holly Doyle um, or whomever... They will they will uh, accommodate for sure. That there have been local female jockeys here in the past who have been successful, and um, they're you know with the the um, academy here um, with the, the the racing development board, um, a lot of females are coming through the systems and going into different areas of racing in Hong Kong. Um, so it is changing. So you see a lot of female vets here. Um, you see uh, female strappers. Um, Wellington Strapper, for example, um, is a lady who's been with Richard Gibson for a long time and is um, revered for what she's done with that horse. He's, he's hard to work with. So more and more you see um, the change towards uh, more females coming in. And, um, yeah, so there's huge enthusiasm for racing and it's only a matter of time until we see a really good, outstanding local jockey come through, a female jockey, I should say, and um, who knows with Jamie um, or, or Holly, um, you might see them here on a more permanent basis. I'm just working out those, that uh, Zach Purton annual salary. It's somewhere, mm. my rough calculations, we're talking between one and a half and two million dollars, Leo. 
Yeah, and I'd, I would say um, over his career, um, given that he's ridden in excess of 1,500 Hong Kong winners over all that period of time, um, yeah, it doesn't bear thinking about really. Um, he's, he's been enormously successful, very savvy. Um, the old of a professional, and you saw him with Lucky Swainess in the Group 1 at the weekend. Um, you know, he's, um, he's done an incredible job um, for a young fellow who came up here um, and had to adjust. And, and you talked before, uh, Andrew and Paul, about the adjustments that people make in relation to what Shane was saying. And, and Zach is one. Uh, he came up through a really hard school, had to learn quickly, and now he's at the absolute top of his game. Um, Leo, we didn't get to mention it, uh, just switching to tennis, because uh, there's not a lot of tennis news on, but uh, around the time of the Australian Open, uh, sort of news came through that uh, the private capital that sort of had changed the format of the Davis Cup seemed to have escarped for the nearest exit, no doubt not getting the return that private <laughs> equity requires, and they tend to cut their losses very quickly, irrespective of whether they've taken over a traditional event or not. What now for the Davis Cup? Well, it was a really positive step forward at the weekend when we saw, um, you're right, it, it, there were a couple of women's events at the weekend, Alicia Parks, an impressive American one in Lyon, and um, Zhu Lin won in, in Wuhan. Um, but in Davis Cup, they reverted to home and away for the qualifi qualifying ties, or well, not reverted, they've, they've had it for a little while. But this was the one where it was properly embraced um, seemingly across the board, and we saw a lot of really um, like an old-school um, Davis Cup ties when mm. the crowd was really engaged and um, it was fantastic. So 12 nations went through. We've still got this system where um, they go through um, the next round. Will be, um, there'll be, I, th I believe, 16 teams in September and the eight winners out of that will go through to the finals in uh, Malaga in November. So um, it's not back to what it was, but judging from the feedback from last weekend, there was a greater appreciation um, of what can be achieved um, going back and really embracing home and away uh, Davis Cup ties. And we saw some of the raw emotion that uh, we hadn't seen for two or three years. Mm. Leo, just a final one. When will we know about Wimbledon and will the Russian and Belarusian players uh, be in the tournament this year? It's still a really hot potato in tennis. And Alina uh, uh, Svitolina, who's now um, uh, Mrs. Uh, Gaumont-Fils, um, she's on a comeback trail and she said there's no way these players should be allowed at Wimbledon or the US uh, and then no way that or the French Open as well and also the Olympics in Paris. Um, so it's it's bouncing around. Uh, Wimbledon wants them to be stateless if they turn up at all. Um, so there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. I can't see it being resolved quickly. Um, so we're facing a situation right now where uh, we mightn't see the reigning Australian Open champion uh, back there again. Um, we mightn't see Daniel Medvedev and a few others as well. So uh, mm. a lot of things have to happen between now and um, they'll have to make a decision very quickly on this. Good on you, Leo. Always a pleasure, mate. We'll talk next Tuesday. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.